Welcome to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast, a series of podcasts aiming to help language teachers improve their craft through innovative ideas, strategies, and best practices from expert teachers. The World Languages Collaborative brings language teachers together from all over the state of Georgia and beyond to exchange ideas and perspectives on teaching and learning languages. The World Languages Collaborative podcast is an extension of this effort and is brought to you by the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Georgia Southern University. I'm your host, Grant Gearhart, Associate Professor of Spanish at Georgia Southern. Welcome back to the World Languages Collaborative podcast. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Dr. Florencia Henshaw. Professor Henshaw has a PhD in second language acquisition from the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, where she currently teaches. She's won various awards for her teaching and curriculum development, and she also has an outstanding YouTube channel called Unpacking Language Pedagogy, where she breaks down some of the complex issues around language teaching. I think it's a wonderful free resource, and I commend Professor Henshaw for sharing her knowledge so freely on YouTube. If you haven't listened to the first part of my conversation with Florencia, please check it out. In this episode, we delve into the murky waters of the role of grammar. Let's talk a little bit about, while we're, while we're talking about language learning, um, the role of grammar. What are your feelings on grammar and how can we best, because I don't know how, I, consistently on my evaluations, I want more grammar, we need more grammar. That seems to be what my colleagues have said throughout the era of student evaluations, you know, more grammar, more grammar, more form. What, what are your feelings about grammar and how we can best use it as a tool to, again, improve proficiency and improve language acquisition? <laughs> and it's funny because I think if you have a room full of teachers and you say the word grammar, I think they all have some kind of emotional reaction just to that word. Um, And I think it has become almost unnecessarily polarizing where we need to claim these camps of whether we are pro or anti-grammar and it just, it doesn't have to be that way. It really does not need to be that way. Um, As with many things in language teaching, but even, you know, when we're talking about the target language use, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. To me, it's the same when it comes to grammar or focus on form. I think the term focus on form has been also very misunderstood and misinterpreted, and we can talk at length about that. Um, Now, you said something about the students. The students want more grammar practice, right? And then we as teachers feel like, well, maybe they're right. They need more grammar practice. And I think it's always good to reflect on where students' preferences are coming from. What is leading them to say we need more grammar practice? Part of it could be from misconceptions about how language learning, language acquisition works. And that, you know, it's a a conversation we need to have with them. And sometimes they want to know and they trust your expertise. So there's nothing wrong with talking to the students about language acquisition. Um, But here's the thing, and this is very important. If the students' expectations or preferences are coming from how they're being assessed, then you as a teacher play a key role in changing that. You cannot change what they did in the past. You cannot change the previous teachers they had. I understand all of that. And a lot of that, a lot of that forms our opinion on how languages should be taught, right? But 
what I do think that we all need to reflect on is if our assessments are so form driven to the points that students are losing points <laughs> or their grade is being affected because at least my students are very much point driven and grade driven right so if their assessment is so form driven that now accuracy is truly affecting their grade then we're never going to move away from no you don't need grammar practice and in fact i think there's an issue if we're not going to give them grammar practice but then we're going to assess them on how well they're using those forms there's a mismatch there that to me is unfair. So this is why assessment and instruction have to go hand in hand. And I'll tell you, I recently redesigned a fourth semester class uh, and I removed all of that, you know, good use of grammar or um, good control of the structures taught up to this point, all of that in the rubric is gone. All I want to know is, do I understand you? Can you tell me some simple sentences? Because these are students that are novice, high, intermediate, low. So I changed the rubrics to be proficiency-based, and I removed the language control portion of it. And not one single student <laughs> in the years I've taught the course, it's been a few, a few iterations and TAs have taught it too, not a single student has said, we need more grammar practice. How did those questions, go? how did those requests magically go away? <laughs> and it's because they don't see it as needing them to do well in the course. And so at some point, their priorities change. They're like, well, no, I need, do you know what they say? I want more help listening. I want more listening comprehension practice. Great, let's do it. That we can do, right? And it's because or I need more practice talking to somebody. Great, let's do it. That Those requests, I love, because now we're being a little bit more proficiency-driven. We're being a little bit more focused on how language development actually works. So what I would say, first thing, we need to have our priorities and our goals very clear, and they need to make sense for every aspect of the course. And I know that that can be indeed challenging, but um, if you are going to have activities where the learners have to produce the correct form or select the correct form, then at least give them plenty of time to be processing it, to be able to try more than once, right? But don't make those assignments worth so much. And especially in summative assessments, then don't focus so much on form because that's going to continue the whole, I need more grammar practice, I need more grammar practice. So what role does the grammar play in our, in our classrooms or in, uh, how should we approach teaching it? So the way I see it is, you know, you have this form and meaning, right? To simplify it. <laughs> and I feel like form is already everywhere. You cannot convey meaning without form. Form is already there. So let's give a little bit more priority to meaning. <laughs> let's be more intentional about meaning because the form is there, right? You don't need to be highlighting form so much. That being said, attention to form is not inherently bad. 
and I know Krashen is going to come after me, but I just don't think that attention to form, it, it has to have this bad rep of, you know, it has to be this explicit grammar drills all day. That's not what attention to form is about. Um, I think it's good. I think we all, a lot of us in SLA probably agree that what we want is to foster these form meaning connections. So we need form and we need meaning. We need both. Nobody's saying that it has to be one over the other. And I would say we there's not a whole lot of consensus in SLA about anything, but probably the majority of SLA scholars would probably tell you that it's not about if, but how we focus on form. And Laibano Espada have written about it extensively, right? That's not my own idea. So I think we all should start from there. It's not if, but how. Let's talk about how. Let's not debate, should we be focusing on form? Yes, how? That's what matters. And so um, to me, the, the issue is if focus on form or attention to form is actually going to be focus on forms plural, like Michael Long made that distinction, that focus on forms plural is when we lead with the forms and then we practice them. Um, that's not what we want. That's not what we mean by focus on form singular, which is you lead with meaning, with content, with purpose, and then you figure out what we need to convey that content, to convey those messages. That's what we mean by focus on form. And so if we start thinking our lessons, our, our courses, um, by deciding which structures we're going to cover each semester, each year, then something needs to change. That's where we're, we're doing focus on forms, plural. And that's now what we're saying. We're saying focus on form, singular. And to me, the, the way that I summarize it is let's prioritize understanding content over understanding rules. That's the beauty of focus on form, where you can draw their attention to form as needed, but the priority is on content, not on understanding rules. Um, and that's why I have to say, and this may be an unpopular opinion, and I understand and respect it. That's why I'm not a huge fan of inductive approaches where the students are spending a lot of time, class time, talking about the language, trying to figure out the rules that are behind all of these patterns. I think language is way too complex for students to start analyzing it and, and figuring out these patterns. And I also, in my case, my time with students in class is very limited. I see them maybe twice, three times a week, and that's it. And um, even though I teach Spanish, I know that not all of them um, seek Spanish outside of class. And so I have to make the most out of this meaning form connections in class. That's my priority. And so if they're spending too much time discussing the language patterns and possible rules, I don't think that is, you know, class time that is helping them develop their communicative abilities in the target language, which is my goal. Now, it could be that it's not somebody else's goal, right? Maybe somebody else's priority is for them to do really well on a particular test <laughs> where they have to understand all of these rules, then okay, go for it. It's just not how I assess them. So in my case, it's not good or very useful for them to understand the rule behind it. What I want is, can they use it? Can they understand it? Excellent, excellent uh, points. Um, I have a question about homework. I tend okay. when I when I assign homework, it tends to be, I, I say that's when you're going to get the form practice. I wonder if I'm doing it correctly. Um, what do you how do you feel about 
about homework? What should homework entail? Should it entail more for, focus on forms or should it be more of an extension of what you're doing in class or just, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on homework and, and, and grammar and whatnot. I think it depends a lot on what that homework entails, right? Because I think personally, I think it's better if all of the activities, be it homework, be it in-class work, is still focused on meaningful content. So if by homework, we're picturing these meaningless drills, then no, (laughs) that's not the type of homework that I would assign. Um, If by homework, we mean maybe structured input activities where they are created in a way where we push them to notice and process certain forms, but they're still accountable for understanding these sentences, then okay, I'm still okay with it because there's still some processing of meaning, meaning and form. So that's good homework. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I personally think that we get more bang for our buck if the homework is about processing language, right? So if it's going to be meaningless practice, then probably not. At some point, it's just going to be what the students call busy work. And then it's not helping a lot for language development. And honestly, I don't think it's helping a lot for motivation either, because at some point the students feel like they're they're dreading, right, doing their homework. And that's not what we want. So as much as possible, focus on quality um, as opposed to quantity. So instead of a lot of these mechanical practice, have fewer activities where the students are really pushed to understand the language and to process these forms, then yeah, I don't have a problem with homework. Um, Of course, it depends on the context, right? So for example, if we're thinking of flipped classes or hybrid classes and hybrid not in the in the COVID era <laughs> where it's simultaneously online and in person. That's not what I mean. What I mean is um, the students are doing some activities ahead of time before coming to class, right? And so they're doing some uh, computer graded activities and then they come to class and supposedly in class we do more of the communicative stuff. Um, well, I think that is, okay, Oof, I have a lot to say about that. The first thing I have to say is that The flipped model was adapted from STEM, from the sciences. And the first thing we need to question is, does that model apply to second language acquisition? Because second language acquisition is not about, let me teach you the language, let me show you how it works, and then you do it. So if that's how we have interpreted, then there's something wrong to begin with, right? That's not how it works. Uh, I cannot tell you, this is how predator and imperfect works. Okay, now go to class and tell a story they're not going to be able to do that, right? Because it's simply not how language works. So if we're going to do the flipped model, then that flipped part that whatever they're doing in class, um, outside of class, whatever they're doing in the computer, then it has to be meaningful. They have to be lots of this comprehensible input and engaging with the language and processing the language. Um, then, then yeah, it could work. Even then, I would say, have realistic expectations as to what they're going to be able to do in class, because you can give them a lot of input, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be perfectly fluent by the time they get to class. So even in class, you might need to continue a lot more of the of the processing of input with maybe now transitioning into output. Um, of course, depends on the level. I'm thinking of the novice level classes. Um, so it, it, homework itself computer-graded activities by themselves are not bad. It's just that 
so far, how they have been interpreted is a lot of drills. It's a lot of this correct, incorrect forms. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can do great comprehension questions that are computer graded. So, you know, it's just, it's a matter of just rethinking what we're having, what we're asking the learners to do. And how how should we be correcting students when I, I understand completely and I, and I and actually agree with you 100% on this idea of meaning over form, but when the form breaks down to the point that the meaning is compromised, mm-hmm. what are some way, what are some things we can do in class besides just saying like, oh, you conjugated that verb wrong, you know, in the in the in the first person it's it ends in it has this ending and the second person it has this ending without the explicit correction what are some strategies you use to help uh, correct students when the form breaks down and the meeting is no longer there well oof okay let me start with this i think the feedback in our focus on form needs to make sense for the proficiency level of the students so if our students are novice high intermediate low Let's review the guidelines in terms of how much control the students are going to have. We cannot expect perfection. We should not aim for perfection because we're asking them to go from zero to 60 and they're just not there yet. Plus, why are we so obsessed with perfection to begin with? That's my other question. So let's say if I have an intermediate mid learner or even intermediate high, and we know those are probably rare unless you get to, you know, fourth year. Um, Let's say I have students like that and I'm trying to get them to pay a little bit more attention to, for example, instead of telling me everything in present tense, like now you're, no, but I asked you about something in the past, then yeah, I would push them. I would ask them and tell them, Um, You seem to be telling me about what you do, but my question was about what you did. Just kind of push them to understand that they're conveying the wrong meaning. Even if I understand in context, and I could probably even understand it in infinitive, at some point, based on the proficiency level, we need to start pushing them because we know that they're almost ready for that, right? And so that we need to start pushing them to understand how the forms they're using are conveying the wrong meaning or they could convey the wrong meaning. So in that sense, yes. Um, If it's truly a breakdown in communication, so I asked the student what they study and for some reason they're giving me all past tense verbs and I mean, look a little confused, like, wait, that's what what you studied before? So ask for clarification and confirmation. And I think that's a great way to engage in that negotiation of form and meaning, which is actually very good for language development. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I think it's a great way to focus on form um, because we are drawing their attention to what they say. We adjust, they adjust the form in order to convey a message. So that's fantastic. And so in that context, the how, the form, is still subservient to what we're trying to convey. So the form is subservient to meaning, and that's exactly what we want. We don't want the the, the form, we don't want the form to be dictating <laughs> what we say. We don't want meaning to be subservient to form. That's where we need to uh, switch things around. And so Feedback needs to follow that basic principle and it needs to be contextualized within 
the proficiency level of the students for what they can do and how much we can push them. What I see a lot about feedback, feedback is not about necessarily, right? Again, it, it, it's not about you do it or you don't do it, right? It's not all or nothing. Um, it's just more of a, are we aiming for perfection? Are we now correcting every error <laughs> to the point that it's just this unrealistic expectation of perfection? Um, I think that can have other consequences, right, where um, students may start simplifying what they say just because they don't want to make errors, where students um, reduce their fluency, they're overthinking every word they say because they're so scared because they know you're noticing every error because you're going to correct them. Then I think that we have these unwanted consequences to language development where we're sort of constricting language development, and that's an issue. Um, but if it's much more focused on meaning and in a way that they understand how form changes the meaning of what they're saying, I think there's nothing wrong um, with, with doing feedback. Um, let's always remember, though, that a focus on form doesn't have to be corrective feedback, right? So focus on form is much bigger than corrective feedback. It's just one way of doing, um, of doing focus on form. And this philosophy, would you extend it to written assignments, say, you know, a, a mini composition or something written? Would you go through and mark every single no, word that's incorrect? No, or, no. How do, how, do you give, <laughs> how do you give feedback on written assignments? Oh, my goodness. So when it comes to, so there's an article by Polio, Charlene Polio, um, it, that it just really resonated with me. Um, she basically sat down and started looking at, what role does corrective feedback have based on different approaches to second language acquisition? And I did unpack this um, article on my YouTube channel, shameless plug, Unpacking Language Pedagogy, go check it out. Um, and, and I like that because even if you look at it from different angles, from the cognitive side and sociocultural and all of these different approaches to SLA, at the end of the day, I think what we can all agree on is that providing the this very explicit corrective feedback, here's an error, here's how you correct it, right? Usually, all we can expect is for it to contribute to explicit knowledge. And even then, I, I, this is the part that I love about the article, it says, we still don't know for sure why some students apply their explicit knowledge, monitor their production in some cases, but not in others. There's nothing so far that makes us say, oh, okay, here's where they're gonna get it right and here's where they're gonna get it wrong. No, even if they know the rule, they might not apply it. And we don't know why yet. <laughs> I don't know if SLA will ever know why. My, my, my hunch is that we'll never know why. But so then what does that mean? That means that we might be contributing only to part of their knowledge. And even then, only sometimes they apply it. Is that worth it? I leave it up to the instructor to decide whether that's worth it. Understanding some of those unwanted consequences of thinking that instead of look at what I'm sharing with you, all you saw was everything that was wrong with it, all of the errors. So personally, I prefer to look at what they wrote in engage with the content and be like, wow, I love that you're telling me this, how creative you were. Like, let's just celebrate what they're doing with the language. 
and I, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it has to be based on their proficiency level. So correcting every error out of somebody who's a novice or even an intermediate learner, to me, it's just not going to do a whole lot for the language development and it may actually affect the rapport with you. Um, one thing that I've seen uh, Meredith White uh, share, and I think that it can be a good compromise, is to have the learners tell you what type of feedback they want, right? So have them choose whether they want feedback on form or not. And so if it comes from the student, maybe you're avoiding those unwanted consequences. But I would preface that by having an honest conversation with the students in terms of whether we need this corrective feedback or not. My concern is that a lot of learners are going to tell me, yes, I want correct everything because I want to speak perfectly. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get disappointed that they continue to make those errors. And they shouldn't be. We should tell them it's just part of learning it. And I'm not actually noticing your errors while you talk. So sometimes we need to have these conversations with students so that they're uh, preconceived notions of how language learning works don't end up affecting their language development, right? That they're not telling me, yes, correct everything because that's going to make me perfect. That's not how it works. Uh, and so maybe if some of them realize that's just not how it works, I just have to keep trying and, and maybe I don't need all the corrective feedback, then they'll tell you, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want you to correct every error. Um, Personally, I would feel so, so bad, even if they asked me to correct every error, I still would feel so, so bad doing that, that I would have a conversation with them more about um, what can we do to help you that doesn't entail me marking every error on your paper, because I just don't think that's a very useful strategy. Florencia, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and this has been a great conversation. I think we could probably go on talking for hours. Um, so we'll have to have you back on the podcast at a, at a later date and, and we'll pick up where we left off and, and uh, continue, you know, discussing all these important aspects of, of our profession. All right. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a lot of fun to talk about all of this. And yes, we can talk for probably at least another hour. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and please give us a like and share this podcast with your colleagues and anyone interested in languages. To learn more about the World Languages Collaborative, contact Dr. Mark Linsky from Savannah-Chatham County Public School Systems at mark.linsky at sccpss.com. That's mark, M-A-R-K, dot Linsky, L-I-N-S-K-Y at S-C-C-P-S-S dot com. Again, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.